Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the reading of the Lexington Herald Leader. Today is Thursday, the 24th of August of 2023. And your readers are... Gary Daner. Alice Daner. With the reminder that Radio Eye is a reading service for those blind or with disabilities making it difficult to read printed material. And uh, thank you to the um, publishers for the paper. And I will start with the Lexington's five-day forecast. Today and tomorrow are identical. Hot, hot. Bright orange and red and yellow letters. Hot, hot, capitalized. Today, very hot. High of 98, a low of 76. Tomorrow, very hot, a high of 101, a low of 74. Saturday, sun behind a big cloud, and it says a thunder shower in spots. High of 92, low 69. Sunday will feel like freezing weather. Is sun behind three clouds, not as hot, and a high of only 85, low of 63. Monday looks like Sunday, mostly cloudy, a high of 88, a low of 65. Temperature rise from the almanac as of Tuesday. The high, 93. Normal high, 86. Last year's high, 85. And the record high, 104 in 1936. The low, 73. Normal low, 65. Last year's low, 67, and the record low, 49, in 1950. Precipitation as of Tuesday, nothing. Month to date, 1.26, normal, 2.77. Year to date, 32.68, normal, 34.25. Last year to date, we had 36.41. And the record for the date was 2.18 in 1900. Sun and moon. Sunrises, 7.01 a.m. Setting, 8.20 p.m. Moon rises, 3.04 p.m. Moon set, none. First half moon, today, August the 24th. Full moon, August 30th. Last half, September 6th. New moon, September 14th. Pollen is high and the main offender is weeds. And the weather trivia. How much rain is needed to keep your lawn in good shape? That's an interesting one. At least a half an inch per week. And that is the weather. It shows it's hot everywhere. Gary. All right, turning to the front page is a piece by John Cheese of the Herald Leader, and it's accompanied by a photograph uh, taken by 
Marcus Dorsey, also the Herald Leader. The photograph is of uh, two brick pillars and between them a sign that says Hillcrest Rehabilitation and Care. The caption under the photo reads, Serious Hill Problems? Hill Creek. I'm, I'm sorry, what? Hill Creek. Serious Problems Uncovered at Hill Creek Rehabilitation and Care in Louisville forced the facility's closure this year. The article itself has the caption, the heading, the title, No Quick Fix for Nursing Home Inspections Backlog. Kentucky's massive backlog of overdue nursing home inspections, one of the nation's worst, might not be eliminated for a long time, leaving health and safety problems undiscovered, state officials warned a legislative panel on, to panel on Tuesday. We need to be clear, we're way behind. We're way behind, Health and Family Services Secretary Eric Friedlander testified. We've got a long way to go to catch up. There's no quick fix on this. It's going to take us, if we're lucky, a year to dig out of this. The Herald Leader reported in July that 73% of Kentucky's 277 nursing homes were listed as going more than two years without a so-called annual inspection. According to federal data, only Maryland had a longer, larger backlog at 75%. The national backlog average is 11%. Fewer than one in five of Kentucky's nursing home inspection positions were filled as of last fall, the nation's worst vacancy rate. Many inspectors, including registered nurses, said they quit the job in recent years because of low pay, long hours, and frequent travel demands. The U.S. Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services requires the states to conduct standard surveys of nursing homes every year to undercover, uncover deficiencies in care before they become serious enough to cause harm. Members of the Kentucky Health and Human Services Delivery Task Force said on Tuesday that they were dismayed to learn Kentucky has fallen so far behind. We've got a very serious issue that kind of caught us by surprise, said State Senator Stephen Meredith, Republican of Litchfield, who is co-chairman of the task force. Freelander and his cabinet's inspector general, Adam Mather, told lawmakers that several factors contributed to Kentucky's backlog. Every state fell behind on standard surveys during the COVID-19 pandemic when they temporarily diverted their attention to infection control, the officials said. But Kentucky has struggled more than most to catch up because it keeps losing registered nurses from its state health cabinet to the far more lucrative private sector. Registered nurses form the backbone of the health cabinet's inspection teams. As of this week, Mather said there are 53 vacancies for nurses among the inspector positions out of 83 total positions. The state managed to hire only six so-called nurse consultant inspectors in the first seven months of 2023, with a 20% turnover rate overall, he said. Almost nobody can hire enough nurses right now, Mather said. As a nurse myself, I've never seen a more challenging environment for the profession, Mather said. We're just unfortunately, nationally, we're not educating enough nurses to provide the care that's needed in the country. Governor Andy Bashir's administration is trying a variety of possible solutions, 
including pay raises that have bumped the nurse positions from about 50,000 a year in 2020 to a salary range of 72,300 up to 95,800. But it's also using private contractors to recruit nurses to the healthcare cabinet and even to perform some facility inspections. And it's creating a new career ladder at the health cabinet to allow licensed practical nurses with less formal education than registered nurses to be hired in advance while on the job, the officials said. In the meantime, as it works to reduce the inspection backlog, the cabinet will prioritize nursing homes that have a history of more serious citations or complaints, Mather said. However, this problem isn't going to go away soon, Friedlander told the task force. I'm hoping we are at the nadir, the health secretary said. I'm hoping that we're at the bottom, but I cannot swear to, it, to you all. It has been a tremendous challenge retaining and hiring nurses, and that's exactly where we still are. Alice. Well, there is someone that You're I on knew. Mute. Oh. That is true. I am on mute. And the next article is a very sad article, but a very positive article in that the person that the article is about and I served together on the Nursing Home Ombudsman Board back in the 80s. Um, and the state ombudsman was uh, part of the Nursing Home Ombudsman program when both this person and I were part of it. So it's, it's a positive but a sad article. Lawyer who tried to kill himself wants others to know you can be helped. This is by Beth Musgrave. And there is a picture of Bruce Simpson smiling for a portrait on Wednesday, August the 9th. That's like a week ago at his home in Lexington. And there is a note by Beth Musgrave. This story is about suicide and describes sensitive details that could be triggering to some readers. The 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is a hotline for individuals in crisis or for those looking to help someone else. To speak with a trained listener, call 988. And I have another friend whose son took his life and um, he is part of that 988 suicide and crisis lifeline here in Lexington. There's a body in Maple Grove Cemetery, according to the quarter, call-up. The call came in to the Jessamine County 911 dispatch around 6 p.m. on January 25th. Dispatch agreed to send a police officer to the Nicholasville Cemetery. The caller hung up before dispatch could get his name, according to an audio recording of the phone call obtained by the Herolita through an Open Records Act request. The caller was Bruce Simpson, a longtime Lexington attorney. There wasn't a body. Not yet. Simpson, 73, had come to Maple Grove Cemetery where some members of his family were buried to die. He had a handgun he had purchased less than 12 hours earlier. The people at the gun shop had assured him it was an effective weapon. Simpson didn't want to miss. He tested the weapon 
shooting one bullet into the ground. The sound and the power of the gun stunned him. He then made the call to 911 so his body wouldn't remain unclaimed and his family wouldn't worry. He put the gun to his head. Click. The gun had jammed. Simpson was still alive. He wasn't relieved. I was still determined to do it, Simpson said. In less than 12 hours, I decided to kill myself. How Simpson got to the cemetery and to a point in his life where he thought the only way out was through the grave started with health problems. He also suffered from untreated depression. Then an adverse court ruling led him to a gun store. In February 2022, he was treated for heart problems. In May, he fell and suffered a brain bleed. He was in and out of the hospital for months. Simpson recovered, but now realizes there were signs his short-term memory was not what it once was. I've never needed a calendar, Simpson said. A land use lawyer, Simpson practiced in front of planning commissions and courts throughout central Kentucky. He typically could keep the myriad of court appearances and deadlines straight without jotting them down. At least that's what he thought. The bad news that his health problems had impacted him more than he realized came via the U.S. Post Office. It was a letter from an appellate court. He had forgotten to file a legal brief in a case his clients had won at the trial level. Simpson prided himself on being a great advocate. He represents homeowners and developers in land use cases, often contentious hearings that pit neighbor against neighbor. I've been to those. He had his fault, but he knew he was a good lawyer. But the paper in front of him said something different. He had screwed up. He was gutted. No, gutted didn't cover it, he said. In less than 12 hours, I decided to kill myself. I'd hurt a client. I've never done that in my life, Simpson said. We've got to get our heads out of the sand. Simpson's story is shocking to many who are familiar with the affable and seemingly unflappable lawyer, known for championing so many underdogs during his 40-year career. It wasn't for a bad hurricane director of the Kentucky Lawyer Assistance Program, which helps oversee suicide awareness and prevention efforts through the Kentucky Supreme Court. Hurricane said, pointing to one of the dozens of studies that show high suicide rates in the legal profession, lawyers are six times more likely to die than the general population by suicide. Lawyers are professional verbal boxers. Their job involves constant conflict and that constant adversarial stance creates stress. That stress can lead to depression, Horrigan said. Depression alone or a combination of depression and substance use disorder can lead to suicidal thoughts, Horrigan said. Many lawyers also are organized, systematic, typical type A personality types. 
But we can't control a jury. We can't control the facts of a case, Harrigan said. The lack of control can lead to self-blame, like in Simpson's case, she said. But suicides are not unique to the legal industry. It has become a national public health crisis. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention now lists suicide as one of the leading causes of death in the United States. Suicides increased 36% between 2000 and 2021. Men are more likely to commit suicide than women. They made up roughly 80% of all suicide deaths in 2021, but only 50% of the population, CDC data shows. Oregon and the Lawyer Assistance Program have ramped up efforts to address mental health and suicide in Kentucky over the past decade. But over the span of less than four weeks in late December 2020 and early January 2021, four Kentucky lawyers died by suicide. The cluster of suicides further galvanized the Kentucky legal community to talk more about mental health depression and suicide. Oregon, who has traveled across the country to speak to various groups on mental health and suicide prevention in the legal community, led more than 20 free seminars in the year following those suicides. You said, Harrigan said, you can't just ask a lawyer if you, you, they are feeling like they may harm themselves. You have to ask them point blank, have you can contemplated taking your own life? The number of Kentucky lawyers who die by suicide is not known. Long-held stigmas about mental health and suicide still prevail. It's underreported, Harrigan said. Simpson knows lawyers who have died by suicide. It was never acknowledged, Simpson said. People just whisper about it. Lawyers who are other people turn to when they are in a jam, whether it be driving under the influence or a business dispute. We are supposed to take care of people, Simpson said, admitting they too struggle. Can be tricky for lawyers to admit, he said, or admitting they too struggle. Well, can be tricky for lawyers to admit, he said. As a lawyer, because you have this role as a warrior, it makes a lot more difficult to reach out for help, Simpson said. That's not helpful, Harrigan said. We've got to get our head out of the sand, Harrigan said. The Kentucky Lawyer Assistance Program is launching a new first-in-the-country program with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, a national profit. It's an online screening tool. The program will be geared specifically toward lawyers. The launch is set for some time before the end of the year. Harrigan also speaks every year to Kentucky law students about mental health and depression, making young lawyers or soon-to-be lawyers aware about the profession's high suicide rate is a critical first step. It's also been rewarding. Young lawyers are much more open about their mental health, talking about mental health, their own struggles with depression and seeking treatment, Harrigan said. That's why Bruce's story is so important. He saved me four times. After
After the gun failed to fire, Simpson, alone and cold in the cemetery more than 20 miles from home, was at a loss. He had written a suicide note and left it at his Fayette County home for his wife to find. He didn't want to take his own life in his own home and decided on Maple Grove Cemetery because he grew up in Jessamine County. He took an Uber to the cemetery. I didn't want anyone to have to come and get my car, he said. Nicholasville police showed up looking for the dead body, Simpson reported. Simpson put years of quick legal thinking to work. He was walking and thought he saw a dead body, but it turned out to be just a garbage bag, he told police. So sorry, officers. The officers left and Simpson pondered his next steps. I was still going to do it, he said. He had no car. He walked out of the cemetery and stood on the road. He called Bruce Smith, a Jessamon County attorney and longtime friend. The two had not spoken in about five years due to a dust-up over some land use cases where the two had been on opposing sides. Smith, however, was happy to hear from Simpson. The two made plans to meet and Smith picked up Simpson to head to a local bar where they talked and mended their friendship. Simpson did not tell his friend and sometimes legal adversary he was going to end his own life. He told Smith he had come to the cemetery to meditate. He also lied and told Smith he and his wife had gotten into a fight. After they left the bar, Smith drove him to a gas station across the street from the cemetery. Simpson told Smith he was going to call an Uber to take him back to Fayette County. Simpson tried to get out of the car he was still determined to go back to the cemetery to kill himself. Smith, though, wouldn't let him. Ubers don't come to Nicholasville, Smith said. Simpson lied and told Smith he had the Uber driver's phone number. He tried to get out of the car again. Smith said no, it was cold. He would wait with Simpson until the Uber arrived. Simpson was out of plausible excuses. Finally, Smith drove Simpson home. Meanwhile, Simpson's phone wouldn't stop ringing. His wife had found his suicide note. Police and friends were frantically trying to find him. He ignored the constant beeps of his phone and eventually turned it off. When Smith and Simpson arrived on the street of Simpson's South Lexington home, there were police cars parked in front of his house. Simpson lied again. He told Smith his wife must have called the police because of a fight they had prior to Simpson going to Jessamine County. Smith agreed to take Simpson a few blocks away from his house. By the time Smith Simpson walked home, the police would be gone, he told Smith. After Smith left, Simpson took out his gun. He looked around. Near him was a large retention basin. As a land use lawyer, he had argued both for and against water retention basins many times. He couldn't kill himself next to a retention basin. It would be too ironic. Then I thought, I can't do this to Bruce, Simpson said. Smith had no idea about Simpson's plans. He saved me four times that night. As Simpson started his walk back to his home, a peace came over him. He really can't explain it. The thoughts of suicide and self-harm had passed. In a recent interview, Smith said he had no idea Simpson had planned to kill himself. He doesn't know why he picked up the phone that January night. 
I really don't like taking phone calls at night, Smith said. I saw it was Bruce, and I decided to answer the phone. I've never been better. When Simpson got home to his relieved wife and family, his wife called Lexington police, who had left his home but were still looking for Simpson. He assured his wife and family he was fine, he was no longer a threat to himself or others. Lexington police officers who returned to his home told Simpson that's not how it works. They can't just leave. He had to spend three days at Eastern State Hospital, the Lexington State Mental Institution that serves most of Central and Southern Kentucky. Simpson complied but thought at the time he did need to go. I am embarrassed to say how many times in my career I have made jokes about Eastern State Hospital, Simpson said. Yet, here I was. Those three days changed his life. He spoke with a psychologist at Eastern State. It was during an initial assessment the doctor confirmed Simpson had short-term memory issues likely exacerbated by the stroke. There was good news. There's medication to treat it, Simpson soon discovered. His unrelated depression also contributed to his memory problems, doctors said. He struggled with low esteem most of his life. It wasn't until he had success as a lawyer in his 40s that those thoughts of self-doubt slowly abated. If someone said, thank you, you did such a good job, that was enough for me, Simpson said. He had repeated bouts of severe depression most of his life and didn't know it, he learned. He's been in therapy. He's now on medications to treat anxiety, depression, and the short-term memory loss. I've never been better. I should have sought help 40 years ago, Simpson said. Others, including Smith, cautioned Simpson not to go public with his story. Many in the legal profession told Simpson if he talked about his problems, he would never be hired again. Simpson disagreed. That's part of the problem. If no one talks about it, suicides will continue to be a public health problem, he said. I should be dead, Simpson said. He survived heart problems and a brain bleed, but untreated depression nearly killed him. Mental illness is a deadly disease and people need to talk about it. He has written opinion pieces about his experience for the American Bar Association and the Kentucky Bar Association. Both legal groups are expected to publish his first-person account later this year. He has also met with his clients connected to the legal case where the appellate brief was not filed. He has advised them of their rights and encouraged them to seek new counsel. He has had multiple cases since January 25. He loves his job. He loves representing clients. Thanks to the medications, he's thinking more clearly than he has in decades, he said. I've been into the deepest abyss, the darkest place no human being should ever venture, he said. You do not need to go there. There is no need for you to go there. Whatever I can do to stop somebody, to give them pause, I want to do it because I'm so grateful I am here today. There is no need to kill yourself. You can be helped. You can be helped, he said. Lawyers seeking assistance can contact the Kentucky Lawyer Assistance Program at 502-226-9373 or at its website at www 
www.kylap.org. All communications are confidential. The 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is a hotline for individuals in crisis or for those looking to help someone else. To speak with a trained listener, call 988. Crisis Text Line is a texting service for emotional crisis support. To speak with a trained listener, text HELLO to 741-741. It is free, available 24-7, and confidential. Please, if you have any thoughts of such, please, please talk to someone. Talk to someone. And Bruce, God bless you. Gary. Well... There's a piece now by Alex DeQuisto, uh, quite a lengthy one, but here we go. Kentucky doctors propose stronger gun and abortion policies. Kentucky's largest medical association has made gun safety and advocacy for tighter gun restrictions a top pri policy priority ahead of its annual meeting this weekend. Louisville doctors have proposed nine policy resolutions related to firearm safety to be considered for adoption at the Kentucky Medical Association's August 25th through 27th annual meeting. More than any other subject, Kentucky has the 14th highest rate of gun deaths, one resolution reads, and as such, KMA should champion legislation to ban assault weapons, high capacity magazines, and the passage of red flag laws to disarm persons who pose risk of gun violence to themselves or others, another reads. The State Medical Association, by definition, is an advocacy organization to promote the well-being of patients, doctors, and the community at large, said KMA Executive Vice President Patrick Padgett. Though KMA policy is not enforceable, it represents the consensus of a membership organization that represents thousands of doctors statewide, he said. KMA members also regularly conduct grassroots advocacy with lawmakers to provide expert opinions on health-related bills. The Medical Association has a chance to make changes to its own policy once a year. In late August, hundreds of physicians convened for the association's annual meeting to deliberate to deliberate new proposals and discuss modifications to the current policy handbook. Any KMA member can propose a policy change. Once submitted, those proposals enter a maze of scrutiny and deliberation. On Sunday, a group of more than 100 doctors in KMA's House of Delegates will gather to discuss and vote on which resolutions to officially endorse. Those deliberations are closed to the public. Gun safety, the need for tighter restrictions, and whether the KMA should adopt policy opposing the GOP supermajority General Assembly's track record on firearm legislation are likely to be the topic most discussed this year. One proposal asked the state to create an office of gun safety to reduce firearm-related deaths. A second calls for tighter gun laws to reduce Kentucky's higher-than-average rate of intimate female partner homicides, 69% in Kentucky compared with 56% nationally, and a third champions the need for doctors to screen their adult and child patients for the presence of guns in their households. 
three proposals call on Kentucky lawmakers to adopt red flag laws or extreme risk protection orders to temporarily bar people who are deemed by a court as a risk to themselves or others for possessing guns. Governor Andy Bashir, a Democrat, has called for the legislature to pass laws this and laws to this end multiple times since he became governor, as far back as 2019, after two mass shootings in El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio, left dozens of people dead, and again this year, after a gunman in downtown Louisville killed five people. In a state that historically championed the proliferation and freedom to possess firearms, laws that place restrictions on a person's ability to have a gun, even if temporary, are not popular, popular with the political party in power. Bashir's predecessor, Republican Governor Matt Bevin, said in 2019 that red flag laws are an erosion of our constitutional rights and instead signed a concealed carry bill into law, which codified that no separate permit or training is needed for illegal firearm owners to conceal carry a gun. In 2022, in 2020, a bipartisan bill to enact the red flag law in Kentucky failed to get traction. Earlier this year, legislatures enacted a law making Kentucky a second amendment sanctuary state. Two of KMA's proposals related to gun safety include barbed criticisms of Kentucky's GOP supermajority, which as one resolution notes, has denied protection of our school children citizens and police officers by ignoring control measures for assault rifles and killing enhancements by avoiding enactment of effective background checks and red flag laws. That resolution also calls for lawmakers to ban semi-automatic weapons and killing enforcement features, including high capacity magazines and bump stocks. Another calls for Kentucky to repeal its second amended sanctuary law and scolds lawmakers for not budging on common sense gun violence to protect their citizens. The Kentucky State Legislature has not only failed to do so, but it has passed a law prohibiting local community government from enacting gun violence control laws to protect their local citizens. This law, as well as the state sanctuary law, substantially weakens protection of our school children, citizens, and police officers from mass shooting and gun violence, the proposal reads. Policy proposals to restore abortion access. At the 2022 annual KMA meeting, two months after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned federal abortion protections and Kentucky's trigger law banning the medical procedure except to save a pregnant person's life became law abortion-related policy were the dominating issue. Though abortion is the evidence-based standard of care, reality at odds with Kentucky's law banning nearly all abortions, doctors at last year's meeting could not reach consensus to take a bold stance in opposition to state laws restricting it. That outcome, five total resolutions were proposed, but most weren't adopted or wasn't because abortion isn't considered a health care item, all major U.S. medical associations agree it is, but for fear among some member physicians that adopting a policy at odds with the political majority would alienate the body responsible for passing laws in Kentucky, the Herald Leader reported at the time. This year, 
there are three abortion-related policy proposals. The first from Lexington doctors seeks to amend KMA's official policy to make clear the association supports comprehensive health care for women, including the opportunity to choose a medical or surgical abortion and to codify that KMA opposes criminalization of any appropriate medical care provided by a physician. Abortion is currently criminalized in Kentucky. Providers who provide perform abortions in cases where the life of the pregnant woman is not imminently threatened can be charged with a Class D felony. The second, bought by current KMA President Dr. Melissa Taylor, calls on the association to publicly advocate for revisions to the state statutes that restricts access to abortion-inducing medications for women who experience underlying medical conditions currently with life-threatening pregnancies. It's aimed at Brandenburg Representative Nancy Tate's House Bill 3, an omnibus bill passed into law in 2022. The law prohibits doctors providing, from, from providing abortion-inducing medication to patients with certain medical histories, including if they have a history of ectopic pregnancies, or taking steroid hormones for rheumatoid arthritis, or on a blood thinner medication for a heart condition, for example. The unintended consequences of HB3 could adversely impact women and affect their lives during a life-threatening pregnancy, the proposal reads. The third asks for abortion training opportunities and OBGYN residency settings to be protected. There are no current family planning fellowship training programs in Kentucky, it says. If nothing is done to protect abortion training, residents will compromise the future of OBGYN healthcare and failure to incorporate abortion training in resident curriculum will lead to a generation of physicians ill-equipped to fulfill their duty to care for patients. Transgender healthcare and human sexuality curriculum. Last year, before most GOP-controlled states around the country began outlawing gender-affirming care for transgender youth, KMA adopted a policy supporting access to hormone and puberty blockers and the preservation of the doctor-patient relationship in such setting devoid of political tampering. According to the policy, current policy handbook, KMA advocates against any prohibition of physicians or other health care providers from socially affirming gender identity or discussing evidence-based therapies for management of gender dysphoria with their patients and their parents. The association also supports behavioral health options and non-surgical treatment provided to youth by appropriately trained and experienced healthcare providers. Since this policy was adopted in 2022, the General Assembly has passed Senate Bill 150, outlawing all forms of gender-affirming medical care for trans use, contradicting the advice of the KMA and major U.S. medical associations. No proposed policy changes this year address gender-affirming care, but a few address Senate Bill 150's mandate that no instruction on human sexuality and sexually transmitted diseases be taught to students under grade six. This portion of the law, first proposal reads, has raised the question of whether teaching students human health-related curriculum 
including puberty and menstrual health care education, is permitted in Kentucky before grade six. Elementary students should have access to sex education related to menstruation and puberty. The proposal written by two University of Lowell School of Medicine students says it opposes abstinence-first sex education, currently the standard in Kentucky, and asks that sex ed be offered to elementary students in an age-appropriate manner. The proposal also asks for sex ed curriculum to include LGBTQIA practices for safe sex in the interest of equality prevention of sexually transmitted diseases as well as information on sexual assault. A final proposal from Louisville physicians applicable to restrictions on abortion and gender-affirming care addresses burnout among doctors, in part caused by moral injury. It asks the General Assembly directly for help in solving the problem. The resolution describes moral injury, injury as the challenge of simultaneously knowing what care patients need, but being able, but being unable to provide it due to a variety of constraints that are beyond the physician's control. Alice, we're at 40 minutes. It is now time to turn to the obituaries, and we have quite a few, of which three have actual written um, obituary pieces. We read only the name and age location if given. Mary R. Bales, 88 Lexington. Catherine Ann Back, 84 Lexington. Robert Bob Butler, 82 Mount Sterling. Alexander Gould Campbell, Jr., 95 Lexington. Mr. Campbell has a full obit. Ernestine Darnell, 86 Stamping Ground. Carl Hubbard, 63, Kiwi. Barbara Boggs Kinsley, or Nisley, 77, Grayson. Edward Moore, 81, Lexington, has a full obit. Brandon Poole, 50, Versailles, has a full obit. Frankie Ray Posey II, 57, Liberty. Scotty Lee Ritchie, 70, Cynthiana. Linda Ray Rogers, 81, Georgetown. Thelma Doris Rucker Hamilton, 90, Wakefield. Melvin Smith, 80, Barberville. Kitty Grady Tonkin, 97, Versailles. Dale Turpin, 55, Lexington. Juanita Wethington, 96, Liberty. Again, if you wish those three obituaries read to you, um, and Alex Campbell was a very prominent Lexington um, entrepreneur and philanthropist, uh, please call the main office, 859-422-6390. Gary. You are a mute. So I am. Continuing with the local news, a piece by Christopher Leach is titled, Officials Investigating Clark County School Bus Incident. Officials are investigating after an altercation 
was reported on the Clark County School Bus Tuesday, according to a Facebook post from the school district. The school district said that the incident happened on the bus and was under investigation by law enforcement, but didn't provide additional details. Quote, all Clark County public school students deserve to feel secure and protected, and nothing is more important to us than the safety of our children and staff, Superintendent Dustin Howard said in a statement. CCPS will not tolerate any form of violence within our school community. The school district said appropriate action will be taken once the investigation is completed. All students deserve to feel secure and protected, and nothing is more important to us than the safety of our children and staff, Howard said. This is a developing story and may be updated. Alice. I turn to the opinion page. The first is by Amy McGrath and Dr. Emma Belcher. Um, and Linda Blackwood for the Herald Leader, but this is um, Amy McGrath is a decorated Marine Corps veteran and a member of the Plowshares Fund Board of Directors. And Emma Belcher, PhD, is the president of Plowshares Fund, the only fund singularly focused on reducing the threat of nuclear weapons. Kentucky's destruction of chemical weapons, an important step. On a warm summer day in central Kentucky with no fanfare, the last U.S. shell of sarin gas was destroyed at Bluegrass Army Depot. The sarin rocket shells were a part of the once enormous arsenal of chemical weapons <clears throat> the United States maintained throughout the Cold War. Today, and a huge success for international security, all global stockpiles of declared chemical weapons have been destroyed. The Chemical Weapons Convention, CWC, was signed in 1993 by President George H.W. Bush and then ratified by the Senate under the Clinton administration in 1997. At the time, naysayers claimed the treaty was worthless and unverifiable and would lead this nation into a false sense of security. Yet, here we are in 2023 participating with 192 other countries compromising over 98% of the world's population in compiling and destroying the entire stockpile of these heinous weapons. It took us 30 years, not the 10 originally hoped, but we and the rest of the world should celebrate this achievement for the betterment of mankind. The CWC is the most successful disarmament treaty eliminating an entire class of weapons of mass destruction, but there are still challenges ahead. Three nations have neither signed nor ratified, Egypt, North Korea, South Sudan, and Israel has not ratified. North Korea, in particular, is believed to have a large stockpile of chemical weapons. Syria, a member of the CWC, reportedly used chemical weapons on its own people in violation of the treaty as recently as 2019. But the development, production, and use of chemical weapons by the rest of the world remains prohibited. There are many reasons to fret given the trends in international security today. North Korea is testing longer-range ballistic missiles. China appears to be doubling its members of nuclear weapons. 
doubling its numbers of nuclear weapons. The nuclear weapon state of Russia has aggressively invaded its neighbor, starting the, a war of immense destruction, <clears throat> enabled by its nuclear threats. Iran remains on the brink, excuse me, <clears throat> of gaining a nuclear weapon of its own, should it choose to do so. These are real causes for concern to be sure. Identifying and restricting weapons of mass destruction, including biological agents, nuclear weapons, and the possible destructive forces of artificial intelligence will remain an ongoing challenge. The magnitude of the threat can seem overwhelming. Many will be tempted to respond by creating more of these types of weapons on their own or by ending continued transparency and dialogue. However, shaping norms and international cooperation still has a place. It has a proven track record. The Nuclear Non-Proliferate Treaty, NPT, has limited the number of nuclear states to nine after dire predictions that there would be dozens of nuclear states by this time. The U.S.-Russia New START Treaty has significantly reduced nuclear weapons displayed under the agreement, but without international support, these agreements can weaken. New START, for example, will expire in three years unless the two sides agree on a replacement. Such talks have been disrupted by Russia's war in Ukraine. As a result, we could be on the brink of a new nuclear arms race. It is important to recall that arms control talks have, and still can, play a useful role bridging U.S.-Russian rivalries. During the Cold War, when the two sides had little to agree on, they could still agree that nuclear war, nuclear proliferation, and an uncontrolled arms race should all be avoided. And today, despite rock-bottom U.S.-Russian relations, the shared interest in preventing nuclear catastrophe should provide cause to bring the two nations together. As we celebrate the final destruction of American chemical weapons in the United States, we should remind ourselves that treaties resulting from international cooperation and agreement can be successful while at the same time in our own national security interest. In spite of the lack of fanfare, the significance of the destruction of that last canister in quiet central Kentucky is enormous and should be widely applauded. Gary. The piece now by the Los Angeles Times editorial board. Can washing machines filter microplastics? When you hear the word microfiber, you probably think of the now ubiquitous reusable cloths used for cleaning floors, wiping up spills, and polishing countertops. For environmentalists, however, that word has a much more sinister meaning. It describes the tiny beads that textiles, clothing, bedding, towels, and yes, reusable cleaning cloths shed by the millions during each spin through the washing machine, and which ultimately end up polluting the environment, particularly oceans, rivers, and lakes. Since most clothing is made with synthetic materials, such as polyester, rayon, and acrylic, it means that most microfibers are also microplastics, gulp. Because, as we now know, microplastic, anything less than five millimeters in length, the size of a sesame seed, is found in every corner of the planet, from the deepest depths of the ocean to the ice and glaciers, and even the air itself. 
These tiny bits of plastic have invaded our food chain and water supply and are now routinely found inside of humans. Science is yet to determine the full effect of this proliferation of microplastics on human health, but evidence suggests that microplastics emit chemicals that it can increase the risk of health concerns such as chronic inflammation, cancer, and infertility. And microplastic particles that are extremely small, such as threads from clothing, can be particularly dangerous because they can slip easily into bodies ingested along with water or inhaled into the lungs where they can embed and do further physical damage. The good news is that our municipal wastewater systems do a good job of catching microfibers shed in the wash. Problem solved? Not quite. Those tiny pieces of plastic can become trapped inside of the nutrient-rich biosolids produced by wastewater plants. If that material is used to fertilize agriculture, those microfibers are released into the air and water. Once microfibers get into the environment, they are virtually impossible to be cleaned up. One potential solution, at least in the short term, is filtering out microfibers before they can get into the wastewater stream and sending them to the landfill. Studies have found that filters with mesh of a certain size built into washing machines are able to catch more than 90% of the microfibers. External microfiber filters, including mesh wash bags, have been available to consumers for several years, though they can be expensive, not widely available, and have various levels of efficiency. So far, the idea of installing filters hasn't been tested outside of limited studies. The Association of Home Appliance Manufacturers says filter technology is not ready for large-scale application. Engineers haven't worked out a way to integrate a filter into a washing machine that is easy to use, the industry says. For one thing, it's not like a dryer lint trap that can be easily emptied and won't cause a problem if not cleaned before each use. Filters for the wash get gummed up pretty quickly with hair, soap, and fabric softener and would have to be emptied as often as every wash to avoid clogs that interrupt washing cycles. And they must be cleaned without using water, or that just moves the release of microfibers from one drain to the other, as well as increasing water usage. Ideally, these problems will get ironed out in the next few years. Ultimately, textile manufacturers and fast fashion companies should switch to natural fibers that don't generate microplastic waste to begin with. Until that happens, we're left trying to catch up and keep microfibers out of the environment. Alice. I don't think I have time to read the last um, opinion piece. About no, we have three and a half minutes. Yeah. I'm going to read Jeannie Phillips and good old Dear Abby. Dear Abby, I'm 44 and I've been dating a wonderful man for the last year and a half. He's 44 as well. He has a nice home and a job and has 50-50 custody of his three children who adore me. I'm good to them and we all get along well, just like a family. The problem is he goes back and forth about marriage. I have made it clear that, although I have no desire to pressure him, I do want to be married again one day. I said I'd rather be let go than let on. He said he isn't sure, and some days he says he may never remarry. 
The last time we talked about it, he said it's a possibility, but he didn't want to be pressured. It has to be his ideal. How long should I wait until I say enough is enough? Fixed on marriage. Dear fixed, a year and a half is a reasonable amount of time to decide whether a relationship is serious enough to lead to something more. Give him six more months during which you do not mention the word marriage. By then, you will have invested two years. After that, ask if he's made up his mind about the two of you being married. And if his answer is anything less than yes, move on. Dear Abby, I have a family issue concerning the recent ultimately death of my only younger brother who died of pneumonia in Georgia. His wife had him cremated the following day instead of having a funeral. She didn't inform his immediate family about it until it was over. Was that legal and was it the right thing to do? No family closure. Dear No Family Closure, please accept my sympathy for the passing of your younger brother. When the sibling is younger, the loss can be particularly poignant. When a married individual dies, it is legal for the surviving spouse to determine what will happen to their loved one's remains. We don't know if the subject of funerals, memorials, burials, or cremations was ever discussed between your brother and his wife. If you are wondering, rather than judge her, ask her. He may have expressed a wish not to be put into the ground or he may have been cremated for financial reasons. And with that, Gary, um, you have anything to say? No, other than it doesn't look like too bad a morning hours if we want to get outside and do that. Well, you mean start working on the bushes? <laughs> a little <laughs> yeah. early. Oh my God. A little early. Um, everybody, have a wonderful, wonderful day. It is hot. Please stay hydrated. We did do some yard work in the morning. Make sure your plants are watered, but stay cool and, and really take care of yourself. As for mental health, it is all over everywhere. And um, be aware that being a friend can help save so many lives, just like Mr. Smith did for Bruce. Just, he was a friend. Take care, have a good day. Please stay tuned for continued programming on Radio I. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.